Coming up on the Keto Camp Podcast, we bring on Dr. Shane Morris. Your microbiome is dynamic. It's not your liver. It's not your brain. If you could pluck your brain out and put a new one in, I'm sure many of us would do that because, you know, we want an upgrade. That's not possible for us and our own genetics. Our own genetics and our own organs are fairly static, but the microbiome is dynamic. You can change it. We have access to ancient healing strategies such as ketosis, fasting, and carnivore. And on the Keto Camp Podcast, we are determined to deliver the science to you. We bring in the thought leaders in this space to have extraordinary conversations so you could apply it and change your life. Your body was built to thrive. Your body is capable of healing as long as you identify the interference and remove it. I believe you are a masterpiece because you are a piece of the master. My name is Ben Azadi. I'm the best-selling author of Keto Flex, and I want to thank you for spending part of your day with me. Hey, Keto Camper, Ben Azadi here. Thank you for pressing play today. I am your host. You can learn more about me over at benazadi.com. All right, today's episode, you're going to want to put on your thinking cap. Even for myself, this is very deep into the biochemical processes of ketosis. If you want a masterclass on how ketones work at the cellular level, today's episode is for you. You're going to probably want to listen to this one two, three, four times to really grasp the depth of this conversation. Dr. Shane Morris is one of the most brilliant minds out there. He's not as popular as other people who are out there that are brilliant and have a big platform. So this might be the first time you're hearing him and you're going to love him. You're going to love his backstory and what he's doing in this world. He's a scientist and he's a brilliant man. So we're going to get into how ketones actually help raise glutathione in your cells. We're going to get into the process of ketolysis, which is how ketone bodies are metabolized in the mitochondria the ATP that's created from one section of fatty acid, which is 24 to 26 ATP. You're also going to understand why ketones burn much cleaner than glucose and sugar. When you're burning sugar, glucose, it is a dirty source of energy, like a truck with all the smoke coming out of the exhaust pipe. That analogy, think about that because he's going to explain it and exactly how it works when it comes to your cells and why when you're burning sugar, creates a lot of reactive oxygen species. It's a longer process to get the same result. Why not cut all that off and get right to the ATP and the production of ATP without the unnecessary steps? We're going to get into the blood-brain barrier and why BHB is available to cross the blood-brain barrier. We're going to get into methylation. Methylation is the process of several things happening to build a biochemical pathway. Think of it as the gears and switches of your cells and of your body. We're also going to get into something called extinction events, the loss of certain bacteria in the gut microbiome that leads to issues and why he believes some of these bacteria that are being lost cannot ever come back again. And we're passing it on generation, creating a problem uh, when we have isolation, when we have 
sanitizers and all these things going on, especially the last two years, it wipes out certain bacteria that we need to thrive. We're going to deep dive into the gut microbiome, the gut-brain connections, antibiotics, butyrate, the forgotten short-chain fatty acid of butyrate, and much, much more. So you sit back, take notes, listen to this a few times. You are going to love Dr. Shane Morris. Before I bring him on, I just want to take a minute here to get to the Apple Podcast rating and review of the day. This is a five-star review titled, Helpful and Thanks from Mark in the Philippines. I learned a lot from Ben and his guest. Wide range in topics, full of information, very helpful. Keep it up. It's amazing and helpful. Mark in the Philippines, thank you so much for listening from the opposite end of the world, at least for me here in Miami. I appreciate you pressing play and also leaving that review. Thank you. I'm grateful for you, Mark, and uh, keep on listening. We'll keep bringing you a wide range in topics. If you haven't left the Keto Camp podcast, a rating and review on whatever podcast platform you're listening to right now, please do so right now. Take a minute to hit pause and hit that rating and review. These ratings and reviews, you hear me talk about them every day or every podcast release because they are literally the lifeline of podcasts. The more ratings and reviews we get, the faster the show grows, the more lives we change. And uh, it takes a lot of energy, a lot of resources, a lot of money to get these episodes out. That's the truth. It, we're releasing three episodes per week. And we're not asking you to pay anything. We just want you to, if you're getting any value, to leave an honest rating and review. So please do so right now. All right, let's geek out on ketosis with Dr. Shane Morris. Dr. Shane Morris's lifelong passion has been understanding, researching, and building natural products to affect our health in amazing ways. After spending over 30 years following this dream, he frequently finds himself in awe and how much he still has to learn. Understanding the complex world of nutrition, especially nutritional supplement and herbal medicinal products. Shane Morris has a unique and broad experience with over 30 years in nutritional industry and scientific community, trained first in the ways of natural product sourcing, quality design, and manufacturing, which quickly led to the pursuit of a formal education in chemistry, microbiology, and finally a PhD in molecular biology and biochemistry. He is passionate about owning a business in the industry called Systemic Formulas. He also earned a master's in business degree. He is an adjunct professor in chemistry at WSU and is a certified nutrition specialist in the American College of Nutrition. He has authored a number of peer-reviewed journal articles, scientific abstracts, talks, and patents in the areas of biological chemistry, natural products, and product development. Here's Dr. Shane Morris. Dr. Shane Morris, welcome to the Keto Camp podcast. Ah, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. I consider you to be one of the most brilliant scientists that I have ever known or studied. I mean, when I first saw you speak at Systemic Formulas Conference several years ago, I was just blown away. You're one of those speakers who really know your stuff. And it could be, and I imagine for those listening today, we're going to get really scientific and really geeky, so you're going to want to <laughs> listen to this a few times, but we're going to, Dr. Shane is going to give you a masterclass on how ketones work at the cellular level. So before we get into all that and what you're doing with systemic, let's get into your story. How, how did you even get involved with what you're doing today? Yeah, you know, it's a long story. So, you know, part of my passion isn't just through 
research and education. Clearly, my family history is my grandfather got into this many, many years ago before he passed. And I was I was drawn to it. There was a, you know, a, let's call it a genetic predisposition to want to be involved in this. And early on, so in the 80s, believe it or not, I'm dating myself, but in the 80s, in high school and headed into college, I had a real passion for it. I was already working at companies to make natural products. You know, you, you think about that. That's honestly, when we'd go to meetings, everybody in that industry were essentially hippies. You know, it's funny, we, because it, everything was natural, you were finding your own herbs and putting them into capsules and so on. So that was my introduction to it. And I just fell in love with it because there were two things that drove that one. There was very little hard science on the miraculous nature of how herbs worked outside of medicine. And there was also very little known about how bacteria, and there were a couple of probiotics back then, on how they worked. And so I I buried myself into the educational side and went went after microbiological degrees along with biochemical degrees to kind of blend the two. And I was fortunate to get involved with unique professors that had the same interests and that blew up the educational side. And while I did that, I of course stayed in the industry. I stayed, you know, producing new products, working with companies around the globe. Uh, some of the big ones we know now is massive. Back then they were two guys in a garage and now we see them as, you know, billion dollar companies. So I had a lot of really exciting times when I was younger, but that did lead me to the more serious education, the graduate work and so on, on natural products and how not only are the natural products from what we consider the phytochemistry of the, of the plants or the ocean living organisms, whether they be obsidians or, um, you know, what we look at as corals and so on, it was the microbiological piece as well, because there's an intimate relationship that we've, we've known ecologically that bacteria are everywhere. And we've always known that and we've always been cognizant of the importance of, of the plant relationships with organisms, the fungal, you know, the, the mushrooms and so on. There's always, we've always known about that. And it wasn't until the 2000s that we identified the importance of microbes, these invisible tiny little prokaryotes that live all over us. And that was such a powerful piece because prior to that, we were actually looking at herbs and other related natural products to attack pathogens. You know, that's the goal. We want to kill dangerous organisms. And that's been the goal for hundreds of years. That all changed in the late 2007, 2008, 2009, when the introduction of the knowledge of the Human Microbiome Project. And of course, that was all made possible through genomics. Uh, we can get into that later if you'd like. But the genomics piece allowed us to find these organisms that we couldn't see. And as it turns out, we're a human buildup of about 10 trillion cells. So, you know, if you put you through a grinder, you're going to end up as 10 trillion cells. A little gross. However, we have over 100 trillion microorganisms on our body, in our body, in every space that is accessible to the environment. We have what we call a microbiome or all these amazing microbes. And they're made up of mainly bacteria, some fungi, some viruses, and for, you know, some populations, a little bit of parasites in there too. This was transformative in the terms of how we thought of health. I was always targeting the, the natural products to design and build health products to, to help us navigate this world in a healthy way, in a, in a natural way, in a sustainable way. And yet 
we ignored the microbial piece. Not all of us. Some of us loved bugs. I've always loved bugs. You know, I've never been afraid of poop. <laughs> but that information gave us so much data as, as to what was really driving the health of the human being, of our ability to digest these, you know, amazing amounts of foods, our ability to overcome infections, whether they be virus or bacterial or fungal, our ability to navigate on different areas. You, you and I can pack up, get on an airplane and be in the Amazon rainforest and not die tomorrow because of our ability to adapt. The adaptability is the most amazing phenomenon. What allows us to adapt, however, isn't our own genetics. It's the microbial or the microbiome genetics that allows us to do that in such a short time frame, allows us to do so many things. And that was really the turning point for my personal research and my personal passion is how can we better understand how these 10 trillion bugs, which give us over 3 million new genes, you know, you and I carry around about 23,000 genes. Mm -hmm. So we're quite simple. If you think about us, we're, you know, we're simpler than the earthworm we're simpler than many plants. And it's because we have collaboratively, symbiotically brought in these trillions of microbes to help us do the jobs that we just don't have time for. We don't have the time, we don't have the resources, we don't have the energy. So we've created this relationship with these trillions of organisms to say, you do all this heavy lifting and I'll give you a home. I'll give you food, I'll give you safety, and you're going to take care of all these chemicals that we're exposed to, all of these nutrients that we need, all of these hormones we need to build, and so on. And that became what is now burgeoning into one of the largest and newest research areas called the microbiome world. And it is, it's blowing up daily. And I fell in love with it back in the early or the mid 2000s. And now I'm of course, deeply buried in it. And that is the journey that's led me here because I now have a research lab on the microbiome. We now have, you know, products we're developing. And of course, we want to move that all forward because that really is the keystone to our health. And it's something we've ignored. In fact, we live in a very antibiotic world, if you think about it. Everything we do fights against these little organisms that we need so desperately. And one of the things we can talk about later in ketosis is we have created such an antibiotic world that we wake up to every day we're losing microorganisms. We as humans are losing these important little guys that make our life possible in an extinction event system. And it's no different than what's happening in the, you know, the ecosystems around the globe where you think of animals and plants and birds that are disappearing. We're losing microbes. Our children are losing microbes. Moms, if moms don't have all the microbes needed, that children doesn't get it. And if you pass, and if you go through a few generations, we now know through microbiome studies, those organisms don't come back. You have to find a way to bring that organism back to these, these kids because they've lost it and their moms didn't have it. Their moms, moms didn't have it. And it's a, it's a really unfortunate and devastating piece. And it's directly linked to our health without question at this point. Yeah, and especially it's been accelerated the last two years with uh, what you're referring to there, this antibiotic world or so with isolation, sanitizers, uh, antibiotics, which we spoke about at, at, at the Systemic Formulas Conference that we were just at. And now I want to circle back to that as we relate the conversation to keto. Let's get into keto a little bit. You, I, I know you're a big fan of ketosis. You've taught lectures on it. I've seen the lectures are amazing. So why do you love keto? And um, then I will kind of relate 
what ketones do to the gut microbiome, how it could actually could improve the gut microbiome. So why do you love keto, Shane? Perhaps one of the most important parts of keto for me personally was the, the brilliant use of it in people that have what we consider maybe diseases or syndromes or potential problems with their own metabolic. So if we, if we break that down, let's break it down into, we have healthy individuals, we have athletes, and we can talk about them in a minute. But clearly, one of the most brilliant aspects of uh, adapting to a keto is with people that are struggling with metabolic issues, metabolic syndrome, struggling with diabetes, you know, type two, even type one, struggling with obesity, clearly obesity, and all of these constellation of metabolic issues. Now, we now know even further, and if you even go to the 20s, 1920s, it was used for brain function, cognitive, whether it be through, you know, seizures, uh, you know, resistant seizures, or through cognitive decline. And now we can even relate it to these other syndromes and diseases where you're talking Parkinson's, MS, autism, something as simple as stress and anxiety, you know, panic attacks. There's a relationship now that we've given the keto metabolism a better look, a more clean, a more efficient scientific look at it. It now has the ability to address many of these things in a direct and indirect way. And of course, I'm going to be your champion for that, but I'm also going to give you caveats. And my caveats relate to the microbiome. In terms of ketones, uh, we know from the work of like Diagostino and others that they're brilliant and they have a brilliant place in our physiology and they're not novel. We've, we as humans have, have experienced ketosis forever. And in fact, we used to probably experience it more frequently when we didn't have this abundance, this crazy amount of you know, no, high calorie, no nutrient food. Right. We went from a, a society or, or tribes or all these different groups of people that had, we would famine as much as we would feast. And that's how we were designed. And I want to point out that that's how the microbiome was designed. And that's a key component of at least listening to me today. Everything I tell you, I'm going to give a microbiome component because the, the microbiome has been on the journey with us the entire time. And it has also evolved with us to do the job it needs to do under these varying conditions. In fact, it enjoys these varying conditions. And we've gone in the aseptic world, in this antibiotic world, uh, everything around us is out to kill them. They're struggling, which is going to make us struggle. And so this, the ketones are one key to this, this puzzle. And how they, how, how they can benefit us is in numerous ways. So you know, the, one of the easiest ways to think about ketones is we look at the butyrates and the acetates. Those are probably the two primary that we really care about. And first and foremost, metabolically, we can utilize them. We know that you know, even the, every organ in the body can utilize ketones. That used to be a, a fallacy that was promoted as well. And under the right conditions, these ketones can really change the way the mitochondrial work. They can affect the, the oxidase, oxidative stress that cells are under. And this is really the burgeoning of the, the athletic side, you know, or, or even these extreme, you know, like the Navy SEALs and how they can take advantage of ketosis. Scuba divers, deep divers mm -hmm. have an advantage to being in ketosis and, and so on. That, that story can be told uh, better than I can tell it. But on a cellular level, ketones offer so much benefit in terms of their energy production. And of course, they're derived from fats. And so now we can look at the, the concept of 
adipose tissue and how we can utilize adipose tissue, which is also something that we have, we're genetically pre-designed to store fats. And clearly there's an endocrine component that we can see that in when you're in a feasting moment, your body wants to store fat. Well, when you have a society that is in feasting moments 24 7, 365, this fat storage is, of course, triggering all this storage as well as creating havoc with the, the endocrine system, the leptin, the insulin, the ghrelins, and all of these. The ketones can reverse that phenomenon. They get into the mitochondria, they're burned efficiently, they can pass through membranes really easy. The body sees them as beneficial throughout the, you know, from the liver to the muscle to the heart to the brain. They're really accessible for our body when you do it right. They're absolutely accessible. They also do another job that we talk about less often, and that's the job of epigenetic controls. Many of your listeners have probably heard people speak on methylation, acetylation. This controls genes that control all of our various antioxidant genes or genes that, you know, the mTOR genes and, and the, you know, the RAS and RAC and all of these uh, sirtuins, these are all really guided by what we call epigenetic phenomenon. Well, as it turns out, these ketones are a part of that epigenetic story because your body not only can use them as energy, they can use them to upregulate and downregulate genes through methylation pathways, acetylation pathways. And those are big words. I, I, you know, I hate to throw those out there to everybody, but... Like the gears and switches of the cell. Exactly. You know, these are the ways you turn things on and off. So if you're, you know, if you're moving into ketosis, then your body's going to be using these ketones not only to drive metabolism, but how do we drive metabolism? We turn on genes that have been turned off by the massive carbohydrate intake you've had prior to this ketogenic diet. You know, you've turned off all these genes and you've created all these turned on all these genes that want to store carbs as fat. You turn on these genes that want to reduce your metabolic energy output through your mitochondria. When you get into ketosis, you're now sending the new signal to all these genes saying, hey, turn on the mitochondria, burn more ATP, get the muscles fired up, fire up the GI tract. Let's get you know the, the motor migration complex moving. Let's get the brain kicked in. It, it allows you to turn on all these genes in a different way than just what we understand as a normal epigenetics. So they, they have these multiple faceted roles at the cellular level. They're all very beneficial. These are things that you're brilliantly designed to do. And we have spent the last hundred years negating those effects through our choices, right? And then you add to that then something, this is a tangent, but you add to that the toxins we're now exposed to. Toxins are epigenetic controllers as well. When you see the PCBs, the phthalates, and so on, these things turn genes off that we need. We have to reverse those events. And one of the ways to do that in many ways is the ketogenic or the ketones that we want to produce. I want to take a quick break here to share with you about the dangers of taking fish oil. I know, shocking. I was somebody who took fish oil every single day for years. And then I came across a ton of research showing the dangers of consuming fish oil. I immediately found an amazing product called Pureform. Pureform is a plant-based omega. And the cool thing about Pureform is that it is uniquely processed with nitrogen to preserve it and make sure it does not 
oxidized. These essential fatty acids are cold pressed and you get the proper balance of omega-6 and omega-3 to feed your cells what it desires. We know that life begins and ends at the cell membrane. And when you have the proper fats, the building blocks for those cell membranes, all of a sudden your fat burning hormones can do its job. So you lose weight. All of a sudden your cells produce energy. So you feel good. So we know that cellular health is key for performance and longevity. So I've been taking Pureform every single day. My dog takes it every single day. So does my girlfriend and my mom. This is how much I love the product. If you want to get your bottle delivered to your door, head over to purelifescience.com. Check them out. Order a bottle or two, and you'll be amazed by how you feel after taking this just after a few days. That is purelifescience.com. Use the coupon code BEN4 to apply a $4 off coupon. That is BEN, B-E-N, and the number four. International shipping is available. Okay, let's go back into this episode of the Keto Camp Podcast. Just to kind of unpack what Dr. Shane just said, there's nothing new about keto. Ketosis has been around for as long as humans have existed. In fact, you fast forward to today, 2022, the real problem is that we're, we're keto deficient as a society. And it's estimated that 88.2% of Americans are actually metabolically inflexible, meaning 88.2% of Americans have built their house, their cells with cheap products. They're eating carbohydrates, they're eating seed oils, they have toxicity issues. So when you start to actually get into ketosis the right way and do it the right way. Now you're turning on different switches and gears. You're up-regulating glutathione, which is something that could happen with ketones. You are turning down specific genes, bad genes that have been turned on. So you're now building your house a little bit differently as you're making the switch, eating more healthy fats, eventually doing intermittent fasting. So would that be a fair analogy to say that you're building your house differently as you make this transition from high-carb to low-carb keto? Yeah, indeed. And when we think about the cell, you know, the cell is responsible for everything. We're a complex of 10 trillion cells, as I mentioned. However, they all have their own job. The cells in the eye behave very differently than the cells in the brain and the cells in your muscles. Each and every one of those cells has a very specific set of duties. And how do they get to do their job? They need energy, ATP. When that system is disrupted through, like you say, the excess carbohydrate and especially simple carbs. And I'll get into the good carbs later, but we're disrupting so much. It, it can take 20 years for the behavior of someone that is strictly, you know, horribly designed diet. They may not know they're headed into crisis, but they're going to get to crisis. And when you take 20 years to get there, you're in trouble. <laughs> and we got to get out of that. We've got to get people thinking about you know, ketosis and fasting and all these techniques that the body's well adapted to and designed for. And, and our microbiome is designed for the same thing because if we don't do it now, and if we don't start with even younger and younger people, they will hit that wall. That's going to be a burden on everyone. I'm sorry, but that that's going to create this, this crisis that we're all headed towards and it's going to make it worse. And as you said earlier, we've we've experienced that this sequestering, you know, everybody not being social and interacting, and us sharing everything. And I'm a big fan of that. We're we're going the wrong direction. The last two years, we've taken where we were headed, and now we're even further off track after our you know latest event. And 
the cool thing about ketosis is from your perspective and what you do, you get people together to do something that is communal. And that is part one, right? That's a that's the gut brain axis. You're getting people engaged in a communal activity. And on top of that, the, the idea of getting into ketosis together is even a greater benefit. And, and it creates this positive physiology as well as psychology. And that's part of the fun here, what we're talking about. Sorry, you get off on that. But yes, so the cellular level, we want to generate more positive genetic outcomes, the antioxidants, the ATP production, the protection of DNA. Ketones can help you protect DNA through what we call DNA enzymes that they're called DNA repair enzymes. So when you are bombarded by radiation or toxins, if you don't have enough of these resources, whether it be the methylation, the acetylation, ATP, you don't repair. And as you continually to create damage at a certain point, these cells go into senescence instead of apoptosis. Now we're talking about a whole nother crisis. So we can keep talking about these little branches of problems that could be faced and going this healthy route is going to prevent all of those over time. And that's the really the fun story behind it. Now I want to add to that if I can, that everything we've said relates to the human physiology, our own cells, whether it be in the liver, the brain, the heart, et cetera. I want to add to that the story behind the microbiome. The microbiome also benefits through periods of ketosis, without question. The data is there. There's a number of researchers. One of them is Susan Devkota. There's the UCSF. There's UCSD, Stanford. These people have done some research in the area of microbiome and ketones and ketosis. The exciting part there is we see how you can either take a healthy or a disease. So if you look at epilepsy or if you look at metabolic syndrome and you get them into ketosis and you study the microbiome before and after. And the microbiome undergoes a radical rearrangement. And when you think of the, the GI tract, it's, it's this really long tube that's exposed to the world, right? It, there's an entrance and an exit, but it's a tube. It's a donut that goes all the way through us and it's lined by trillions and trillions of microbes. And these microbes colonize all these niches. And if, and if you think about it, or how we've looked at it is these are all really unique ecological niches. They all do different duties and you have different organisms that are in one place from another place. And they are looking forward to the challenges of what come in. So they can protect you from pathogens. They can protect you from toxins. They also metabolize your food and convert it into neurotransmitters or hormones or other short chain fatty acids. And it's the short chain fatty acids, guess what they make? They make acetates and butyrates. Mm -hmm. So a healthy microbiome can contribute to 30% of the ketones that enter the bloodstream. So when we get into ketosis and we have a healthy microbiome, because we're feeding it properly. Ketosis is something that it's ready and geared up to do. And it'll not only get you in there faster, it'll contribute to these ketones. And when you're not in ketosis, when you're doing the fasting feeding or whatever you're up to, these microbes still live there. They're happy. You've given them the, what they need. They will stay in the gut. They will continue to produce ketones, even if you're not in strict ketosis, because those compounds are necessary for so many cellular metabolic functions that we just talked about.
So the microbiome plays a really amazing role to not only aid in the ketosis process, but they themselves make short-chain fatty acids, otherwise known as acetates and butyrates. So they're a fundamental part of this process, and they're, they're well-designed. They've engineered themselves to deal with it. When they do that, they do multiple things. They not only create these ketones for us, but these ketones feed our cells, as we've talked. They also feed other organisms. So there's this hierarchy of this beautiful ecological system. It is literally a rainforest with all of these variety of animals and plants in your gut is my analogy. And you want that diversity. Diversity is king. You know, if I go out today and I take a number of herbal supplements, the benefit of those herbs used to be thought of as strictly the medicine in the herbs. Absolutely not true. There are thousands of compounds and herbs that when they hit the microbiome, that microbiome converts those molecules into things that I need. We can convert a logic, you know, logic acid into urolithins, we can take polyphenolics and convert them into pre-hormones. And there's so much, we know now that the microbiome can produce neurotransmitters. Can the same be said with eating different fruits and vegetables as well? Without question, without question. The reason why one of my themes today with, in terms of what we call prebiotic foods, this complexity of color that we see in nature and we're drawn to and we want to eat all of those different compounds, and there's thousands, they all contribute to the microbiomes. You're not only feeding the microbiome, so you're keeping around these species that, for people that don't eat a diversity, they're losing these species, as we talked about earlier, and yet we're also losing functionality in our own body because it's a profound effect that these multiple compounds can have on us that we've never thought about before. We have to think about the microbiome as the gateway to all the things that we need in our body because it can produce thousands of times of more molecules for us, guiding our endocrine system, our neurological system, our central nervous system. And that's why our gut and that anatomically is the largest immune system, right? The gallt. It is the largest innervated system outside of the brain. And it's got the largest complex network feeding directly to the brain through the vagal nerve. So it controls everything. The gut is central to all this. And, and it's, not, it's not your stomach, it's not your intestines, it's the microbiome, which is what's directing all of this traffic. If I were to pull a blood sample from you, or anyone for that matter, 80 to 90% of the circulating small molecules are microbial origin. Think about that. All of these small molecules circulating through your blood every day come from your microbiome. Now imagine you've damaged your microbiome, you've taken antibiotics, you've lived an aseptic life, and so on. These molecules are not the ones you want now because you've created a dysbiotic system in the gut. You now have microbes that have been living off sugar, living off of terrible fats, and so on. You're encouraging the growth of all these bad organisms based on your choices, your exposure to toxins, and what they're producing are essentially toxic to you. And when you draw your blood, you can see that. That's crazy. That's fascinating. And the brilliant part of all this story, and we'll probably touch on this more than once, is that your microbiome is dynamic. It's not your liver. It's not your brain. If you could pluck your brain out and put a new one in, I'm sure many of us would do that because, you know, we want an upgrade. 
that's not possible for us in our own genetics. Our own genetics and our own microbiome are fairly static, or excuse me, our own organs. Yeah. But the microbiome is dynamic. You can change it. Which is why, like, when you do food sensitivity testing, you could do one today, do it again in seven days, and you'll see a different result. That's right. It's dynamic, and and that's a good point. the The whole concept of how allergies are becoming a huge issue, right? Allergies and food sensitivities leading almost to these autoimmune issues. The microbiome is central to that, central to the problem because of what we've done to our microbiome, but it's central to the solution. There are already researchers and clinicians who have reversed autoimmune allergies, et cetera, through work on the microbiome. You really intervene through the microbiome using the tools that we're talking about today to reverse these processes. And it's been done. It's no longer a hypothetical. Mm-hmm. We no longer have to be afraid of all of these allergic things because we can reverse them. We've just moved in the wrong direction. And they've learned through that that by limiting exposure to things, me limiting my exposure to you and your family and my family, that can be parlayed into limiting exposure to nature, to animals, to you know waterfalls and et cetera. These are what drive this robustness of the microbiome and it drives our immune system to learn and adapt and learn and adapt. And these things drive the health and the microbiome's diversity amongst diet. Now, diet is a key piece to this. Our microbiome is made up of trillions, as I mentioned, and there's a, there's a fundamental part of the microbiome that is about 50% of it or a little less won't move much, right? You're born, you get it from mom, you get it from your upbringing. And by the time you're an adult, there's, the, there's a part of your microbiome that's fairly static. It's resilient to change. But we have another 40 to 50% that is dynamic and we can make those changes and we can add new bugs and add new dynamicism with that, with the genetics of the microbiome. But ketones are a big, big part of that. Ketones are a part of that. Yeah. And, and I want to stay on the topic of ketones and then we'll transition into fasting. When we talk about just ketones, so glucose versus ketones, sugar versus fat, we talk about ketones being a clean energy source for the cell. And we talk about burning sugar, glucose, and being stuck burning glucose, being very toxic to the cell. It creates a lot of uh, cellular byproducts. So can, you, can you just unpack that a little bit? I always give the analogy of Tesla versus truck, right? That's a simple analogy, but I want you to explain the and get the analogy that I'm sharing with Tesla versus a truck and break it down from a cellular component. Why is burning sugar and only sugar producing more cellular smoke, inflammation, toxins versus ketones? What's happening in the cell between those two? Yeah, so ketones versus sugar. So sugar in the form of, you know, we tend to see sugar in terms of sucrose, glucose, fructose, and, you know, fructose has a different pathway, Mm -hmm. still can be quite dangerous. You know, there's that whole part of the fructose syrup and liver disease and that, you know, that's part of the story. Fatty liver, yep, exactly. Right, and... There's, again, we can look at it from a cellular level where we want to say, okay, as we, we are well-designed and we have the enzymes to burn both. Mm-hmm. And from my perspective, when you look at burning sugar, there's a time and a place because we're well-designed for it. And, and the reason we have all these genes that are protective, like glutathione, like the vitamins that are antioxidants, some of the lipid vitamins, some of the water-soluble and so on. We have a lot of tools to deal with it to a point, right? Sugar should be burned and there's a time and place. It's a quick release energy. Uh, The enzymes are there so we can get through it quickly, but it does generate through the 
Krebs and the oxidative phosphorylation cycle in the mitochondria, you generate a lot of free radical oxygens. And if I were to look at you, Ben, and I'd say, well, do I think you're going to have trouble burning sugar? I'm going to say no, because you've done your work on your physiology and athletes don't tend to have a problem burning sugar when they need to. Mm -hmm. They're well-designed. Their mitochondria are healthy. But the 88.2% of the America. <laughs> but the, yeah, the, the vast majority, we've been driving the cell and the microbiome in this really unhealthy way where everything is a carb. And it's not a good carb, mind you. Mm -hmm. I want to clearly define, we normally should be getting our sugar from plants, from fruits, this straight sugar, this, this straight, you know, uh, flour and so on. These are not good sources of carbs, clearly. But if you are on a complex carb diet, your microbes are going to do a, a brilliant job of converting that into sugars for you. So the microbes will break down these really beneficial carbs, these complex carbs from all these wonderful plant sources, whether they be green, leafy greens, brassica, uh, you know, cantaloupe, whatever, whatever you, you just pick your, pick your poison. These are the brilliant part of what your microbiome does. It sets you up to burn sugar because they're converting these complex carbs into a number of compounds, including ketones, by the way, yeah. when a microbiome metabolizes a carbohydrate, they produce both sugars and carbs. Mm -hmm. Or excuse me, sugar and, and ketones. ketones. Sorry, yeah. I misspoke. They produce both. So you have both of these things entering your bloodstream under what we consider a healthy situation. We've abandoned that the last 50 years with our choices. I'm not going to say that burning sugar is a bad thing. It's just, it needs to be the, through the right input, the complex carbs, the microbiome, and then to sugar. Then your mitochondria are capable of adapting, right? The, the insulin response becomes a normal response. It, there, you don't create insulin resistance. You don't create ghrelin leptin confusion. It happens normally. When you shift that dynamic, when you completely bias your intake to sugar, straight sugar, 45 grams in any kind of drink you buy, I don't care if it says healthy on it, uh, from kombuchas to Coca-Cola or any other food, I mean, I, coffee, you know, I don't want to pick on any company, I don't want to get in trouble. But all these choices we make, when you go buy a processed food, that sugar goes directly into the bloodstream and it wreaks havoc on first the hormones. That's the first havoc it wreaks. The second havoc it wreaks is you've got all your cells trying to take up the sugar and it goes through the glute transporters. Now, glute transporters are a mechanism, as we talked about, they're created from the proteins from the nucleus message, nucleus saying, hey, send the glucose transport out there so we can pick up glucose. And that's driven by insulin. Well, when you get into a situation where you have this much carbon going around, your mitochondria says, whoa, I'm being flooded by glucose. I'm trying to metabolize. I'm creating all these free radicals. I'm damaged. You've now damaged my mitochondria. So it sends a message to the cell surface, the membrane saying, shut down the transporters. Glucose doesn't enter the cell. It's now circulating the bloodstream and starting to stick to everything. Sugar's sticky, isn't it? Yeah. It starts cool. to stick to nerve cells. It starts to stick to all these things. You know, we measure that through HbA1c. We now have sugar stuck to everything. The back of your eyes, all of your immune cells are sticky, getting stuck. You've got big problems. You're, you're now in trouble. And you don't know that. You don't know that by your choice, but you're now in trouble. So the mitochondria 
drives that phenomenon. And when you overwhelm the mitochondria with sugar and you don't give it the ketone offset where you're burning lipids, which don't burn like that, they already get cut up into two carbon increments and we call those acetate. And then we get acetyl acetate and then we get HMG acetyl acetate. These are really clean, one cut, they're ready to go, they're ready to enter in and generate ATP. Sugar has to go through a whole process of work to get there. And in the process, they can generate free radicals. Imagine my story then when you're flooding the mitochondria with just sugar, it gets overwhelmed, the free radicals build up, and there's all these signals going out into the cell saying, we're broken, shut it down. When a cell is, is burning glucose, I know it's a longer process, creates a lot more free, radical, free radicals, but how much ATP is developed from the mitochondria when your cells using burning glucose versus burning fatty acids? So I, I, from my research, 24 to 26 ATP with ketones, but what about glucose? Yeah, so if you go through the glucose process, ultimately when you go through the Krebs cycle and then you enter the, enter the oxidative phosphorylation cycle, you only get, I think, four in the first process, four ATP, and then when you enter oxidative phosphorylation, by then the sugar has been converted into pyruvate and then pyruvate goes to citrate and it goes around that. And then that enters and essentially gets converted into the same kind of products before it enters the phosphorylation. However, there's more energy in order to get there. And, and, mm -hmm. and energy is always in the form of ATP. And every time you break an ATP, you make a phosphate and you make ADP. Mm -hmm. And to do that, you, you've got to put energy in to get energy out. The cool thing about ketones is you circumvent a lot of those enzyme processes because at every enzyme reaction, when you're dealing with oxygen, you have the potential to create a free radical. Whenever oxygen is involved, you can create a free radical. Yeah. So although you could say, well, you know, sugar can ultimately lead to a reasonable number of ATP through the Krebs and the phosphorylative you know, oxidative phosphorylation. But it's the process that it it's takes the process. to get there. Yeah. Indeed, it's the process. It's, just not, it's not efficient if you're doing it all the time. From time to time, if you're healthy metabolism, it's totally fine. But if you're doing it all the time, that's the problem. And I'm a proponent of, we want both of those cycles running at different mm -hmm. times. You know, I'm, yep. Me too. As we get along into this talk, you, you'll realize that there's a benefit to the microbiome to going in and out of these phases. And there's a benefit to the mitochondria, which ultimately is a benefit to the entire human organism by cycling. You know, it, it's a form of diversity in, in a sense, right? It's adaptation. Adaptation is, is very critical terminology in terms of how we want to progress through our challenges and our, life's, our life, right? That we're always being challenged. So adaptation is critical. So the mitochondria can adapt but the mitochondrial, their first job when they're dealing with this mono, I'm going to call it a mono carbon source, which is sugar, there's no diversity there. When it's sugar every day, day in, day out, you're losing all these other aspects of the cellular processes because they're dealing with all of this overwhelming single compound. And when they do that, your body is going to survive. You, you are designed to survive. You know, if I back you into a corner, you're going you're gonna to push me out because you're going to survive. You're going to say, hey, not, not happening. I'm going to survive. Every cell in your body has this innate ability to want to survive. And if it has to shut down processes to do that, it will. It'll shut down non-essential short-term processes to keep you going. But because it's shut down these non-essential short-term processes and you don't change your life choices, 
those non-essentials don't turn back on and the consequences are delayed. Could be two years, could be six months where you find yourself running out of energy. Your, your brain is now atrophying. That's because you shut down glucose driven processes because all you've been doing. You haven't been adapting by doing ketosis, intermittent fasting, diet variation, and so on. These are critical to keeping all the processes going throughout your lifetime. And you know, this, the younger you can start, the better. So mm -hmm. although we make ATP to survive, that's not the end game. You know, I used to I used to actually tell the story of ATP is king, mitochondria king, but through my education on ketosis microbiome, fasting, and so on, I've been enlightened to the, to the fact that no, ATP is not the end game because we need different tools to drive the manufacture of ATP, not just sugar. Sugar will do the job, but there's all these consequences that ketones don't deliver. I've noticed a lot of people have issues with caffeine, especially caffeine in coffee. Now, don't get me wrong. I love myself a cup of quality coffee, but the truth is I've seen so many of my Keto Camp Academy students have a glucose spike from caffeine, knocking them out of fasting or creating some digestive issues, bloating, and most commonly, jitters and irritability. We know excessive caffeine and caffeine sensitivity can cause adrenal problems, which has a lot of negative effects. It makes you more dependent on the caffeine and it puts you in this sympathetic fight or flight state. And for a lot of people, that is problematic. Everyday dose solves the problem of regular coffee while drastically building on its benefits with added supplements. What I love about everyday dose, it's low acidity, cold extracted coffee, and a micro dose of caffeine blended with collagen protein, functional mushrooms, and nootropics which will improve your focus, your energy, and your immunity. I just feel different in a really good way when I have Everyday Dose versus regular coffee. And I want you to experience the same. So if you wanna check out Everyday Dose, head over to everydaydose.com slash Ben and use the coupon code KETOCAMP. You're going to get an extra five on the go dose travel pack to take with you anywhere you go. I take these travel packs with me and it is a game changer because when I'm traveling, it's hard to find First of all, a clean cup of coffee, but almost impossible to find coffee with these functional ingredients. So head over to everydaydose.com slash ketocamp. Use ketocamp to get your bonus gift or click the link in the podcast notes down below. So what about the argument against vegetables, right? I've interviewed, I don't know if you're familiar with him, Dr. Paul Saladino. He's a, called the carnivore MD. And he he's a big proponent of carnivore. Me too. I think it's a great tool. But however, he is 100% against vegetables because of the plant toxins, the lectins, the oxalates, et cetera. I even asked him the question, and I'm going to, you know, I'll throw it to you to get your input. I asked him the question, I'm like, what if you have a healthy gut and you have these plant toxins? Wouldn't it be a hormetic stressor that forces adaptation to create more diversity? He said he hasn't seen any research to back that up. So, what would be your response to his response of him, him saying that? Yeah, that's a fun one. And and granted, it might be a little controversial. And and I'm, I love that. And I also love to objectively look at a problem and solve it. So let's let's break that down. The studies that we now have coming out, and and there are 2019, 2017, 2018, 2020 studies around ketosis and the microbiome. So I think you and I can both agree on the cellular and mitochondrial benefits of of using ketosis or intermittent fasting and so on, those tools. Mm -hmm. Carnivore fits within that realm. Yeah, you're in ketosis when you're doing carnivore. That's right. 
And in fact, there's some concepts around these diets where we, if you think about, and I digress a little bit, we think about us as humans and where we came from. So, you know, you and my, you and I might have a European ancestry. Uh, you know, I might have a little uh, South American or Native American. There's a lot of things we have in this if you look at your ancestry. People that have an ancestry based on even something as simple as circadian rhythms. You know, we, we have circadian rhythms to sleep and wake. We're, we're very sensitive to light. We're very sensitive to dark. We know our body goes through rhythms. Women have a 28-day cycle. Men have cycles in shorter terms. Mm -hmm. You know, if you monitor our hormones, we do have cycles. We have a lot of them. In fact, we have more than women. It's just on a shorter scale. Yeah, we're like 24 hours or so. That's right. We have uh, crazy cycles. We're actually more complex, even though we're not. But from some aspects, we are. And your microbiome has a circadian rhythm. And that rhythm isn't just based on, you know, the moon or the sun. It's based on the nutrients we get. If, If we're in winter, we have a different rhythm. We have a different microbial rhythm, a different cellular rhythm than we do when we're in the spring and the summer and so on. And these rhythms are part of the greater picture of diet, diet variation, carnivore. My ancestors and your ancestors likely in the winter were extremely, you know, salted meat, fermented foods, anything that would make it through the winter. And that wasn't that long ago. We're not talking 10,000 years ago. We're talking a few generations back Mm -hmm. where, you know, I know that I'm at a latitude here in Utah that my ancestors didn't get beautiful fruits and vegetables throughout the winter. You had what you could store. And one of the biggest things you could store were things like fats and meat, right? The lard and the, and the meats. That's what you could live throughout the winter. Not an unusual scenario for many people on the planet, all in these northern latitudes. So when you think about that, our microbiome is supremely adapted to function on these rhythms, to function on these different diets. So from that respect, I agree. A carnivore diet is not a bad thing. It's something that we should introduce into, the, into our lives occasionally. And I could, you could actually pose the other argument, the completely opposing argument, that there's probably times that the vegetarian or vegan diet comes into play. There are times where meat's not accessible. All you have is vegetables. What I'm leading you to is this idea that we, we rotate it creates greater diversity. My probably biggest argument to anyone, whether it be ketosis, vegetarianism, carnivorism, is the longevity of the diet. Let's look at some studies. So coming out of UCSF, UCSD, in terms of ketosis, there is a major transformation of the microbiome, whether you're in carnivore, ketosis, vegetarianism. You can transform a significant population of your microbiome using diet intervention. That's clear. That data is clear. And as we look deeper, so if you look at some of the the organisms that we can monitor, you'll see that while you're in ketosis, and likewise carnivore, you'll see an increased uh, organisms that live off fat and protein. And these are like the Bacteroides species. Mm -hmm. They will grow in abundance because you're feeding them. You'll see a reduction in other species that are primarily live on complex carbohydrates, which you can only find in plants. So you'll see this change in the landscape of the ecology of your microbiome. 
which is fantastic because when you look at people with metabolic syndrome, cognitive syndromes or diseases, or even, you know, in the case of ketosis, you're looking at even, so you have the neurological and metabolic, let's stick to those two. Cardiology comes into play as well. We know by doing that, many of these studies were done on populations that were already struggling with either a metabolic issue or a neuro, neurocognitive issue. When they shifted the microbiome through the ketogenic diet, they can absolutely link the benefits they're getting. So the reduction in seizures in epileptics, the improved cognitive and decreased number of immune responses in the autoimmune world, this happened because of this ketogenic diet. And what they also found is how you come off of that diet. So when you break a fast or when you break ketogenesis, you don't want to return to your bad habits. Okay, that's rule number one. Never return to the bad habits. Some of these beneficial effects persisted even when they came out back into a more healthy, balanced, let's say a more diverse diet following this ketogenic or carnivore. So the benefits clearly can demonstrate a benefit to the people who are either dealing with an issue, physiological issue, or healthy people have been less studied, but clearly their microbiome undergoes this change. The caveat to that is when they persisted with these particular diets for long periods of time, they started losing these organisms, likely through lack of food that feeds this ecosystem. So imagine if you're a coral reef, and one of the sources of food is a you know, particular jellyfish, and you cut that out of the diet of the reef system, the animal chain that's living off of that, you know, the, the first animal that feeds on the jellyfish, and then the second one feeds on that animal and so on, there's this beautiful chain of events. If you extinct the jellyfish because you're no longer feeding it, then you're also impacting this entire ecological food chain. And the same thing is true for our guts. So although we love this rotation, we love what we're getting out of it, and clearly there's a benefit. There's a benefit because we've gone the wrong direction for decades. It's the prolonged nature of a diet that I would, that I would be willing to debate anybody because we are seeing in the data that when you have a, a mono diet or a very non-diverse diet, you start to select for organisms that can live on those compounds. And that's the opposite of what we want. You know, not every organism in your gut is there at a certain population. You might have trillions of bacteroides, but only 10,000 acromancia. Well, if I'm constantly feeding the, the bacteroides and my acromancia just can't survive, I'm losing all the benefits that acromancia was giving me. That's clear. And that's something to consider whether any of these diets and vegetarianism, you push it the opposite direction. So people mm -hmm. that you know, live years on that particular diet are losing the ability to deal with certain issues. And it's not just, can they survive? Sure. But, but what they're losing are all these beautiful organisms that allow them to convert other materials, including their own mucosa. So one of the things that's really cool about this alteration of diets is your, you have the microbes that live right there on the lining of your intestines, but they live in what's called mucosa. And we're all used to mucosa. You get a cold and you're always you know, it's coming out every orifice, that's mucus. That mucosa is critical for not only your digestive system in the, in the cells that line the, the, the epithelium, it's critical for feeding microbes. 
there are certain microbes that live on your mucosa. And when you shift a diet too extreme for too long, that mucosa can change. It can thin. And when it thins, you're no longer feeding these organisms. And the goblet cells then have to worry about what they're doing. You know, they, they're now getting too close to bacteria. Now we deal with the idea of tight junctions, leaky mm -hmm. gut, and we know leaky gut le leads to leaky skin, leaky brain. Mm -hmm. So there's all these connectivities that we're not probably going to get into much today, but they're all related. So having these dietary changes have these amazing impacts on our microbiome, our gut mucosa, which of course leads to skin and immune and brain issues, right? That, that's the protection. They're all very, well, very intimately connected. So yes, yeah, so I, I would agree that there, th these are all tools, but you don't ever want to be on a tool very long. Agreed. But the key component of that is, if I'm going to recommend to any of our clinicians or any of their, their patients, hey, absolutely love ketosis, love intermittent fasting, et cetera, and, and we guide them through the tools like you do, it's the breaking of that that's critical as well. Mm -hmm. Not only getting in, so to enter into it, you've got to have good proteins, you've got to have good fats. There's no question. You get into ketosis and you're dealing with all these rancid or trans fats, you're creating more problem than you're going to benefit from. Agreed. But when you break it, when you come out and start adding diversity to coming out of ketosis and you're going to get back into more of a diverse diet, don't break it with um, simple carbs and you know, processed carbs. Break it with beautiful, complex carbs. And you're going to see these blooms of organisms in your gut that start triggering neurotransmitters and hormones in a beneficial way. You'll, you'll feel 10 times better. And then next time you do it, it even feels better and then better and then better. And pretty soon you find that your microbiome is protecting you from toxins and pathogens. You know, the recent, there's been a huge surge of viral work in the microbiome and the microbiome protects us from viruses. I can say that without fear of retribution. The, the microbiome has a very protective effect on viruses. That's what they do. They're the first line of defense. Well, if you have a horrible microbiome, you're going to end up in some acute care because you've lost that ability to manage the environment, pathogens or friendlies. So yeah, I would argue that it's got a place, it's got a time, it's brilliant, do it right, but cycle it cycle it and you'll get the benefit. Yeah, it's exactly what we teach with keto flex, right? Getting fat adapted, keto adapted and flexing in and out. And when we talk about a keto flex day, which is a higher carbohydrate day, it's not a cheat day, it's a feast day where you're focusing on quality, complex carbohydrates to your point. Plus it makes it much easier to get back in ketosis as well. You know, it's going to help you. It's going to be much more efficient. And it's really a new problem that we have the last 50 years that people eat the same foods over and over and over the same diet long term was never the case before the last 50 years or so. So we want to get back to the way that our gut microbiome is designed to thrive, which is what you just mentioned. Diversity. Diversity. Yeah, yeah you, you focus on a... And, and the, the irony there is one of the studies, they went out and just looked at all the diets that people had before they entered it you know, into the clinical study. And even people that thought they had a relatively varied diet, they didn't. They were even nowhere close to it. So you know, baseline microbiome, even for healthy people, is really on the cusp of being healthy. 
we look at disease states and we can clearly see differences in microbiomes, but even healthy people are right there on the edge, on the, on the verge of unhealthy or dysbiotic. And it's generating all the cellular issues in terms of, you know, the mitochondria, et cetera. But it's also creating these, these organisms to grow where they don't need to be, or they're out competing the guys that we've always needed throughout our journey on this planet and all of our ancestors. So we've needed all these guys. So the diversity, diversity is king, but you've got to really address it in a way where you're proactive. You know, we were so reactive to things or we're so closed-minded and marketing is part of it. Clearly, you know, marketing gets us into these tangents, but that diversity will protect us and protect every cell. And the benefits are, are, are unimaginable. You know, from the ketones to the carbohydrates, the benefits drive up these organisms that can do all these things for us that we are just beginning to understand. And the, the benefits can persist even after, you know, there's a FODMAP study that came out recently where they just got someone, they took all a bunch of FODMAPs people. And as they, as they got them on a, no, a low FODMAP diet or no FODMAP diet, their microbial, at least in a chunk of them, the non-resistant ones, their microbial ecosystem changed. They had growth of new, you know, alcetypes and bacteroides and formicates. They all changed in their composition, what we call alpha diversity and beta diversity. But after they took them off the diet and started to reintroduce them to actually FODMAP foods, or, or excuse me, non-FODMAP, but foods that contain these oligosaccharides, a vast majority of these people were able to tolerate it. Hmm, interesting. So they were able to rearrange the microbiome in a way where the microbiome was capable of addressing these oligosaccharides so that the immune system didn't mount a defense against them, you know, mm -hmm. created a, a response, whether it be a sensitivity or even a, an autoimmune situation. But it persisted, and they only followed them for six months. But how exciting is that, that when you do the right thing using these dietary interventions, your microbiome adapts to that. And then when you return to a more diverse diet, you don't fall back into your disease state. That's pretty impressive. Now, there's a lot of work to still be done there. Yeah. You know, it was a pretty small study, but that gives us hope that things you're doing, like in the ketogenic and the cycling, you're potentially changing the microbiomes permanently or at least semi-permanently, which creates an opportunity for these people to get back into a healthy routine and use these tools intermittently to drive that health even greater, not to save them. You know, right now there people are doing it to get better, but imagine a time when we use these tools to become amazing, right? To become stronger, faster, smarter, you know, live longer. Imagine that these tools will allow us to live to be 120, 130. Right now we're just doing it to get out of, the disease states we're in, yeah. but there, we will be able to use these same tools to prolong life and health and, you know, be able to snow ski until you're 120, you know, that's the future of it. That's the future of what you and I are talking about, not just to survive, but to thrive. To thrive. Yeah, I know. I love that. And uh, I wanted to get into fasting. We're going to have to do a round two because we're running out of time, but I, I do want to talk about one thing before we wrap up the conversation. A couple of ways that I utilize systemic formulas, which is uh, the comp your company, and you formulate uh, incredible products. I know Dr. Pampa helps with the formulations as well. There's two products that if you're doing keto, which my audience is, it's a must, right? So number one, 
LB. And, and the reason I love LB is because a lot of people, the number one reason, Shane, I've seen people struggle when they transition to keto is because their liver has been beat up through medications, toxins, alcohol, processed carbs. And now the liver is producing this thick bile and they're increasing their fats and they can't break down the fats and they just feel awful. And they're saying keto didn't work for me, but we want to love the liver. We want to support the liver. So LB has bile salts. It has, uh, uh, you could explain what's actually in LB and how that helps support you as you start to eat more dietary fats and break that down. So how did you formulate LB? Yeah, so it's really fun. So that really, that one actually did begin with grandpa and then of course, modifications from, you know, more recent studies to update our formulas. But LB, you're, you're absolutely right. It was designed around the liver gallbladder functionality. And there's a number of herbs that we know can drive up uh, bile production. And if you think about it, you know, there's a number of compounds that are plant-based like cholesterol and you, you look at all the different bile acids they have to come from somewhere. And so there's all these mechanisms or, or, or pathways that help us produce those so you can generate enough bile in every time you're introducing fat into your world. It's a brilliant design. However, you're right, it's flawed in the sense that you can derail that process through bad fats, first of all, mm -hmm. because, for example, if you're not collecting enough of these cholesterol-based compounds from through plants because you don't eat any animal foods, you know, you're limiting these pathways to, to build enough of that. If you're now, you're also going to be bringing in, if you're not eating healthy based plant foods, you're bringing in a lot of what we call xenotoxins, whether they be pesticides, PCBs, BPA, and so on. These things hinder that process because remember, these are all lipid-based, many of them are lipid-based toxins. And the process of getting your system to build a lipid-based sequestering system to allow you to assimilate fat into the body, which is clearly important. I mean, you know, without question, that's an important part of our physiology. We now have a very dysfunctional and the liver is trying to fight that. So you're right. As you, as you continue to toxify the liver, you're really inhibiting your ability to produce some of these compounds. However, that is even complicated further by the fact that these same kinds of toxins, these same stressors of of bad fats and toxins are eroding or essentially killing the microbiome. And I like to bring that microbiome back every time, as you well know. Yes. There is a number of relationships of these microbial or, uh, organisms that can trigger the, the bile response, the lipid response through their own pathways of small molecule communication. So part of the story is as you erode the liver, you're simultaneously eroding the microbiome. And if you shift your microbiome through toxins and these food choices, you're really setting yourself up to produce or to grow these organisms. Like, And, and the one we all know about is E. coli. Mm -hmm. And there are another other ones that we, let's just pick on E. coli. These gram-negative organisms produce these little branches off of their surface called lipopolysaccharides, and they can get into the bloodstream. These are actually toxic to the liver. And most pathogens that we you know, talk about regularly can produce these toxins, these, these lipopolysaccharides, and, and they bind to toll-like receptors. And these toll-like receptors are, again, a genetic control of liver cells in one way. They're also the immune cells. You start to create a, an immune response that's unwarranted 
in the liver, you, you have multiple problems going on. Now you've got damage to liver tissue being fueled by microbial metabolites, bad microbes, because you've really encouraged the growth of the wrong organisms through those choices and the toxic environment. This is a vicious cycle. Imagine, because now every time you dump gallbladder back into the intestines, you're, it's a vicious cycle. Now these microorganisms are converting these bile salts into toxins, which mm -hmm. then go back through the colon into the bloodstream, further damaging the liver. So it is really a vicious cycle. Our best tools against this are things like diet, obviously, you know, entering into healthy ketogenic processes with good fats, because now we're driving out the bad, mm -hmm. and, th and that can be a competition. You can certainly displace bad fats with good fats without question. And then finally, you've got the microbial piece where from a formulary standpoint, we use the herbs, we use bile salts and bile itself, even cholesterol in some way, you know, we use the tocolic acid and so on. We provide those to help sequester or bind up the fats so the liver doesn't have to work as hard. It's, it's similar to using an enzyme when you eat. Oftentimes, I, we have patients that you want to, they're having all kinds of gastric issues. Certainly microbial, sometimes because if you're on these acid inhibitors, your, your stomach doesn't produce acid, doesn't produce enzymes. Now you've got full chunks of food entering the small intestine. That's going to wreak havoc. If you take enzymes, they help break down the lipids, the carbohydrates, and the proteins. You're helping the process out. It's not, a, it's not something we recommend you do forever because we want to get the tissues better. But on short term, LB, the probiotics and the prebiotics will drive up the quality and quantity of bile needed to address healthy fats. And, and of course, that's all then going to create a new vicious cycle that is healthy. Mm -hmm. And of course, then there's all these, you know, the detox piece. But one of the things that is new to the world, and you, you'll appreciate this, we've always been passionate about the detox phenomenon through the liver, the phase one, phase two, phase three, through all of the, you know, the pompa has, as a whole system of detox. That's all been based on, for the majority of the time, the nutritive, the herbalomic, these, these areas of natural products that we can utilize to do that, to help the functionality of the liver, to help the enzymes in all these phases. Well, recently, a number of organisms that we want to have in our gut or we can add to our gut through probiotics have these enzymes that can sequester heavy metals. They can sequester PCBs. They can degrade them. They have enzymes that we don't have. And that shouldn't be surprising because we now have organisms floating on these islands in the ocean that are literally eating the plastic, these, hmm. these plastic islands in the ocean. The microbes have been able to adapt so quickly to plastic in the ocean. There's now a thousand different organisms identified in these plastic oceans that are living off of plastic. Crazy. Now, hundred years ago, those organisms didn't exist. If you think about it, yeah. there was no plastic. They can adapt so quickly. They can evolve so readily. Your gut microbiome can do the same if you do, if you treat it properly. And I like to come at it from the angle of the nutrient side, like the LB, but then also the probiotic and prebiotic side to mm -hmm. drive up these organisms that can do the, the heavy lifting that, that we've destroyed over the years. Yeah, I could name the prebiotic and the probiotic, what are they called? Yeah, we've got a number coming out. So the two that are available now are the Terra Biome and the Terra Prebiome. We've got the Immune Biome and Immune Prebiome, and then 
shortly on the heels of that are going to be the neurobiome and neuroprebiome. And then if, you know, if you, as we, you and I can stay in touch, there's a hormone coming out, there's an athletic, you know, they all have new names, but there's a kids. So we're really building a line that we want to get people on where you rotate. Cause again, diversity is king. Yeah. And over the course of a rotation, you're going to be introducing yourself to hundreds of plant-based compounds that are beneficial to the microbiome, which are beneficial to you. And literally over a hundred different varieties of probiotics. And the really exciting part, and we just got our fourth patent is these are next generation probiotics. These are probiotics that haven't been used up until now, up until the microbiome project that allows us to understand these new organisms. Yeah, very cool. We're going to put links for the individual products mentioned in the notes of the podcast and the YouTube video. You could also go to ketocampsupplements.com and search for them, but we're going to give you links down below. I did want to get into fasting. I'll bring you back. And there's something cool that we're going to experiment with regarding a blue pill. We'll learn more about that. So we're going to bring you back, Shane, and we'll have a conversation on fasting. We'll do a cool experiment with the new product you have coming out. And uh, where else can the keto campers go check you out? Any events coming up? Share where they could go uh, learn more about you. Yeah, please. If you go to uh, systemicformulas.com, you'll, you'll learn more about a lot of the formulas, formulas that we certainly didn't talk about. And then if you go to mybiome.com, that's M-Y-B-Y-O-M-E.com, that's where we're presenting a lot of the new formulations as well as, as education surrounding the microbiome. And we'll continue to post on that to educate on the microbiome piece, both prebiotic, probiotic, and so on. So that's systemicformulas.com. And then there, that's mybiome, M-Y-B-Y-O-M-E.com. We'll put both of those links down below. Shane, thank you for coming on here and giving us a masterclass on how ketones work. Like I said, you want to listen to this a few times to really let it land. But I appreciate you, Shane. That was an awesome masterclass on keto. Thank you. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed that fantastic conversation on ketosis. Like I said, listen to this a few more times to really grasp the depth of what we went over. We're going to bring them back in a few months to talk more about fasting. If you want to learn more about the Systemic Formulas products we mentioned, and they have a whole bunch of other ones, they are my go-to for supplements. Head to ketocampsupplements.com. We'll also drop links for you on the specific supplements we mentioned on this episode in the podcast notes. Go follow him. We'll put his website down below. We'll put all of the information we spoke about in the podcast notes down below. Please copy and paste the link of this episode and text it to a friend you believe could take get value from an episode like this, a conversation like this. Please leave the show a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And, and by the way, my upcoming 90-day detox program uses Systemic Formulas products, prep phase, body phase, brain phase, which are these detox kits along with cytodetox and a meta-oxy or several meta-oxy testing kits to assess cellular membrane inflammation. We have a few spots left for this 90-day detox program. You can learn more about it and potentially get registered and secure your spot by going to ketocampdetox.com. If you want to work with me for 90 days and really detox heavy metals out of your body the right way, then I'd love for you to join. Head to ketocampdetox.com. We'll drop a link down below. Thank you so much for listening to the entire episode of the Keto Camp Podcast. I'll see you on the next one.
This podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Benazadi, disclaim responsibility from any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not accept responsibility of statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or non-direct interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.